Shalom, this is Mitch Glazer with Chosen People Ministries. I know that you're concerned about what's happening in the Ukraine right now. Russia has been on the attack and it seems unrelenting. So many people are suffering. And among that group of people who are suffering are well over 200,000 Ukrainian Jewish people. We've already sent aid, food, water, all sorts of materials as well as chosen people missionaries to the border between Ukraine and Poland. And we're having an active ministry there right now. We're also in touch with the 10 or 12 congregations that we work with in Ukraine itself. And we've been sending in a little bit of funding where we can get it in, but keeping in touch with them. So please pray for the Ukraine and for Chosen People Ministries. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this podcast, you will hear inspiring testimonies, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Wherever you're listening, we hope you lean in, listen closely, and be blessed. One of the most difficult things we face in life is losing someone we love. When disease, accident, or violence claims the life of a loved one who means so much to us, it is tempting to surrender to despair. Grief is a process that allows us to express the pain and sorrow we rightly feel after loss. Grieving takes time and looks different for everyone. Healthy grief helps us process our loss and move forward in life. It is a time to discover ways to remember our loved one and figure out how to go on without that person. Scripture gives us hope that Jesus overcame death. All who trust in him as Messiah have eternal life. Still, separation from those you love is difficult. In this episode, we speak with Ellis Goldstein, who has endured some deeply painful losses. Together, we will see how we can grieve with hope. I'm Abe Vasquez. Welcome to Our Hope. Ellis, you're here with us. I don't even want to do a fluffy intro or anything else between um, what, what we spoke. I just want to just just sort of get to it. But before we do, you know, because this will be, a, I, I think, a, a difficult episode. Um, let's start off with, you know, something on a, on a fun note. <laughs> we ask every first time guest, what is your favorite food? That's easy. Veal, uh, chicken Parmesan. Chicken Parmesan. Yes. <laughs> I, I had it and I had it last night. <laughs> <laughs> I love chicken Parmesan and occasionally I love veal Parmesan. Uh, well, thank you so much for being here with us. Um, 
as we're going to talk about, um, you know, we're going to talk about grief. And I know you've experienced some recent things um, on top of, you know, uh, what's in your I Found Shalom testimony. And we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit more. But I, I'd just love to know a little bit of your story. What is your story? When did you encounter Yeshua? It, you know, my background is very similar. Uh, you know, I was born in 1950. And uh, and many of us who were, uh, you know, many Jewish kids were born during that time. A lot of our, you know, many of my friends' parents, uh, grandparents, uh, you know, had emigrated in the early 1900s from Eastern Europe. You know, mine came from Lithuania, Romania, and Russia. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, my background was, uh, I think, pretty typical Grew up in a conservative Jewish background. My family was not very observant. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the high school that I went, junior high and high school I went to was a significant part of the population were Jewish. And so when we were off for Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, uh, the other kids, uh, it was just a small group of kids that were still in the school from what I understand. Mm-hmm. But my background, where I went to Hebrew school, it was really focused on uh, preparing for my bar mitzvah. The sad part is, is that I didn't even understand the why for the bar mitzvah. Mm -hmm. It was just memorizing parts is what it was. And it was something, of course, that my parents were proud of, but it was not something that there was a whole lot of understanding. There wasn't something that that was really discussed even in Hebrew school. And so I, I continued going to Hebrew school after my bar mitzvah. But there was a time that I, I just walked away from it, as a lot of other Jewish kids did, too. Mm-hmm. And I became involved in athletics in high school. And I was just looking for something to give me some significance. And I ended up, you know, I ran cross country and track and field. And I became the leading distance runner in the high school. Wow. But when I graduated, I, I went to Penn State mm-hmm. and to, to study architecture. Wow. Uh, I was going to go out for... You know, continue to compete cross country, mm-hmm. but I just lost the desire to do it and just sort of mm-hmm. settled in complacency. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if it was my freshman year or it was my sophomore year, but there was a a poster. And you have to remember that when I went to school uh, between sixty eight and sixty eight, this was the time that there was uh, a lot of radical things were happening on college campuses. The Vietnam War was right. full blown. Right. Uh, the the Jesus movement. Uh, gained uh, prominence, and there is this wanted poster uh, that I saw on, uh, you know, black and white picture of Jesus uh, advertising something on campus, and I and my and my instant response was, I don't want that. <laughs> and then sometime later, there was a uh, a meeting in my dormitory. It was with, uh, a small meeting in in the dorm, and it was a study break. I cannot give you a rational reason why I went to this meeting. (laughs) It was called How to Be a Christian Without Being Religious. I was not (laughs) interested in Jesus. I was not interested in Christianity. It was anathema anathema to me as it is to a a number of Jewish people. And and so I can't give you a good reason why I went down there apart from the sovereignty of God. Mm. And it was the first time I heard people talk about a personal relationship with God. Someone talked about how to have this relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty arrogant and stood up and I said that, you know, that you can get to God in your own way. Mm-hmm. But over the next 
next five months or so or seven months, I met off and on with one of the men on campus and we would go over Messianic prophecy and, you know, from the, uh, from the Old Testament. If you don't know anything about Jesus, which I didn't, uh, I did not recognize what those prophecies, uh, who they were talking about. Right. You know, people say, you know, you can recognize them, but if you don't know anything about Jesus, I couldn't recognize it. And, and there was another meeting I went to on campus, I think, uh, and it was on March 3rd, 1970. And as this meeting, uh, it was first part of it was pretty informal and students were sharing uh, just some of the things that God had done in their lives. And I, I don't even remember the specifics at that time, but the way that I describe this is, is I literally had an Apostle Paul experience. Mm. I didn't fall off my horse though. There was, I didn't <laughs> see a bright light. There wasn't you fell out, that. You fell out of your car. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and I would just say Alice is being a klutz again. But anyway, uh, but all of a sudden, I went from not understanding to instant understanding. Wow. It was it, it was a, it was a supernatural experience is the best way I can explain it. In the midst of other other students were sharing some things, and all of a sudden I understood yeah. that Jesus was my Messiah, and I embraced him at that point, and I felt compelled that I needed to be the next person to stand up and say that uh, I had trusted Jesus as my Messiah. Wow! And so I did. The room was silent. I sat down. My palms were sweating, and I was wondering, "What have you just done?" And uh, <laughs> The wow. uh, I, t I tell people about this this book, and I found it on the internet and bought it. It's called "What's a Nice Jewish Boy Like You Doing in the First Baptist Church," and that's sort of how I felt. <laughs> and that's that's where it began on March third, nineteen seventy, at about seven thirty in the evening. March third. Wow, we just passed the anniversary. Yep. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Um, man, so much good stuff in there. So grateful that you had that moment. Um. And I think we're going to sort of talk a little bit more about how that moment maybe impacted the rest of your life with, with the stuff we're talking about. So let, let's dive in. How did you experience loss? Um, and, and let's sort of walk through, I guess, the multiple moments in your life where, where you've experienced sure. loss. The first loss I experienced, and, it, and it's significant for a teenager, it wasn't it wasn't death. It was uh, rejection uh, by family. Mm. And that was my first loss. And uh, when I told my father and mother about my faith, my, my father said, we'll never attend your wedding. Wow. And I wasn't dating anybody, but he wanted to let me know. Uh, and so that was, that was the first time I experienced loss and, uh, in that consequential. But the loss that we're talking about today occurred years later. Uh, Colleen and I had a, uh, uh, a little girl born in 1976, and I can remember holding her uh, in the hospital, and she went from my, my palm to my, the, the crook in my elbow. Uh, she was small. And Heather was an incredible child. Uh, she, uh, uh, there's so many things I could say about her. Uh, she came... Uh, one of the greatest privileges that we had was that she had invited Jesus to be her Messiah when she was two and a half years old. <laughs> and there was, but there was evidence that followed that as the years went on. Uh, Heather was a, an intelligent, loving uh, child that 
we did not have some of the issues that a lot of parents have with teenagers. You know, as, as she grew, she was a child who, uh, who would talk to her friends about her relationship with the Lord. Uh, in January 19th, uh, 1994, she was driving to school and about probably about a mile or a mile and a half from our house, uh, Heather was in a, a single uh, car accident. Uh, I could describe the events around that, but I, I won't need to at this point. You know, if you wanted me to, I could, but it was to this day, and that was 28 years ago, I can picture to this day, uh, we knew something was wrong, found out from the school that she was not in her classes. I was running out the uh, through the kitchen, hit the garage door button, and as the door was going up, I saw a car pulling into the driveway and it was a state police car. And I can still vaguely see him as, as he told me what had happened, that he gave me her driver's license. Uh, and uh, uh, as she was killed, and I'm pretty sure it was instantly in that accident. Uh, I mean, to say that it, it changed our world and changed everything was, is an understatement. It even seems trite to say it that way. Mm -hmm. uh, but it did. Yeah. One of the things that you say is, is, is you cry out why, and you try to uh, make sense of it, which you can't. Mm -hmm. But what God said to me, and that he has repeated that over and over again, over all these years is, you don't understand, but will you trust me? And I had to make a decision if I was gonna say yes to that. And I did. It didn't take away the pain but what I just, I made the decision to do was to lean into the Lord instead of pushing him away. It didn't change how difficult it was. It didn't change when I went to church and, uh, and I, uh, I just couldn't sing, uh, the hymns. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, and it was so hard for me to engage in any kind of worship. Yeah. Uh, uh, it just forever, uh, affected me that way. Uh, and so that was that was the first loss. Mm -hmm. I think you and I are similar um, because we we both both have lost daughters. Um, I lost my daughter when she was only 37 weeks in the womb. Um, we don't have an explanation why. Um, we probably won't ever find out why, which kind of makes it a little bit more frustrating, I think. Um, but I think you and I are sort of on two sides of the story where you've experienced life. You had life with Heather. Um, and then I sort of am on the side of, I had all these hopes and dreams and all these sort of, I had this fantasy of what life would have been like with Araya. And, um, and so I think both are different. Both are painful. Um, but man, is it hard. It's hard to lose a child. Um, so I, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Ellis. Why don't you continue and, and keep keep telling us your story? Hey, you know, it's, you know, what you're talking about is, is that uh, when losing a child is probably the hardest loss. And I realize that people might like to debate it, but you talk with counselors and they will tell you that losing a child uh, is the hardest loss. Right. Um, and it is something that sticks with you for the rest of your life, because in losing a child, you're losing, you're losing, your, you're losing the future. Right. 
which he dreamed of. Mm-hmm. Uh, that to this day, Abe, uh, sometimes around the holidays when I see pictures of families mm. and I see them over the years because I'm older now and I've watched them grow from one person to two people to three to four, however many children they have. And now that's uh, grandchildren. Yeah. And, uh, and that still hurts to this day that uh, God made a choice that, that we would not have, uh, you know, uh, grandchildren. Uh, we wanted to have two children, but the, uh, uh, the Colleen had two miscarriages. And mm-hmm. so we just had Heather, mm-hmm. you know, there's the, you know, you, you cry out and say, well, how come you, you know, you hear about, I remember there was this accident, uh, that involved some kid going hundred miles an hour on the highway mm-hmm. and the kid survived. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's irrational when I do this, yeah. but I, but I remember at the time and I said, how, why him? Right. You know, right. why not Heather, you know? Yeah. And, uh. I, I go through that same thought process of yes. just hearing the horror stories yep. of what mothers yep. do to some kid, uh, children. And mm-hmm. um, I, I say, why, why is this fair? <laughs> you know, we, we, yeah. we wanted a child and we were going to care for her. We were preparing a, a home for her. And mm-hmm. meanwhile, you know, these horror stories are happening to, to parents mistreating their children or just tossing mm-hmm. them out like garbage, you know, and why is yes. that, why is that fair? You know, I, I, I totally understand. I, I, one of the things that did happen over time is I realized that the, dis- the discussion with God about this isn't fair, uh, I realized was, was, uh, went nowhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. that, and the reason is, is that the effect of the fall, the effect of sin, as it tainted all mankind, that, er- that everything in life, it will go sideways, it goes sideways. Right. And it makes no sense. Hmm. And then over the years, I had to come to a place where I said, there are things that don't make sense. And God, I don't understand them, but I will accept them. And I don't like it at all, but I will accept them because I know you are who you say you are. Yeah. You know, fast forward to 2017. And, uh, uh, Colleen was having a little bit of difficulty with her throat. And so she went to a, uh, uh, you know, ear, nose and throat people, mm-hmm. doctor, and, you know, and they, they came up with, you know, something, but it really uh, didn't seem to be uh, helpful. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were living in a temporary place. And so we thought we were moving. And we thought the place we're living in, we thought maybe there's some things environmentally there that were causing this problem. It's, let's see what happens. So we're moving into a house that had just all hardwood floors and, you know, and it didn't have rugs. And let, let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. Well, it didn't clear up. And she pursued uh, some more doctors. And then I got the diagnosis that it was ALS, Lou mm-hmm. Gehrig disease, which is a death sentence. Yeah. Colleen was amazing. She accepted it, and and I, I did too. But she she did a better job of accepting it. Mm-hmm. And um, but if you know anybody who has it, it is. I mean, there are many diseases which are ugly. This one is especially ugly as you begin to lose uh, all motor control. All you can do is just move your eyes, um, and it can last. A, sh- a shorter time or a longer time, 
it ended up where uh, Colleen lived 11 months, which was pretty short. Wow, that is. And when uh, she was having some trouble breathing, and uh, the doctor suggested that I take her to the, there was, there was a wonderful hospice type of hospital mm-hmm. that I took Colleen to, you know, just expecting for them to do what they could to make her comfortable because Colleen had decided on palliative care. And, uh, and they gave her something which helped her. She was doing much better. And then I asked the doctor, I don't know if it was that day or the next day. And I said, when can I take her home? And the doctor said, she won't be leaving here, you know, to absorb that. Yeah. Because I went, went, went there thinking this would be temporary, just Mm -hmm. a few days. I I really didn't know the length of time, but it seems she was doing better. And then it quickly turned around where uh, it got worse and worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so that was uh, on a Monday when I took her in. And then about three o'clock Wednesday, early Wednesday morning, I was, I hadn't gone home and I had stayed there and, um, and I fell asleep in the chair beside her. And then two nurses came in or attendants, they woke me up and they said that she was gone. Uh, And I was pretty, I was upset that I wasn't awake when that happened. and, uh, you know, I remember just wondering, you know, uh, what, what do I do? You know, later that day I had to make, I, I think one of the hardest things we had to do this for, for Heather also, it's, it's that when you have to make arrangements, oh, you know, yes. for, and uh, whether it's a hospital or some other facility, they give you a period of time saying you have to make your decisions by such and such a time and, can, can, I, know, can I can I just say my go, first, go ahead my go ahead Araya was our first born um she will always be our firstborn but the first action I took as a father was signing her death certificate and oh. that is always the most painful memory for me signing that because yeah. she's she's in the world she's not really in the world and that's yeah. the first thing I had to do as a dad um mm. and so I, you know, people, we think about loss a lot and you hear, you hear people lose people and all this, but we, we, people don't realize the process of like the arrangements is so painful (laughs) figuring out God, the casket, you know, how small that casket was at her funeral and, you know, doing those little things that you shouldn't do as parents. Um, And so, yeah, I, I totally feel for you. That's, those arrangements, those are painful periods that people need to sort of community needs to rally around those who are experiencing grief and loss and remember like, Hey, we'll be with you in these moments where you need to arrange things because it's honestly the hardest part. (laughs) Oh, no, you're, you're right. I mean, it's, I mean, that takes me back to the, when, when Heather died, you know, and we, we had to find a cemetery. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And, and, uh, and Abe, what happened was we went to one cemetery and gave him our address. It was, we're living in Orlando at the time and said, you know, Orlando, Florida. And he said, well, you don't live, you live outside of incorporated Orange oh, County. Oh my gosh. And they said, you can't use the cemetery. Uh, you know, it's, so it was a terrible, I mean, our, our pastor was with us and, you know, it was, you know, people helped us yeah. find what we needed, but 
to be there and experience, uh, or sorry, but you know, you don't, you don't, you don't live in Orlando. I do live in Orlando. That's what my address is. Uh, but I mean, I understand that, you know, yeah. and so, uh, you know, and I remember choosing the, the casket, like you're talking about, yeah. and it's, it's just a horrible experience to have to do that. Yeah. One of the things I was really fortunate, uh, Abe, and I mean, Abe, feel free to ask other questions and for us yeah, to yeah, engage. Yeah. And it, it was one of the things that happened within two days of, of, of Colleen's death. I had friends, uh, <clears throat> two men that I'm extremely close to flew up uh, to be, uh, to where we were living. At that, at that time, we were living in North Carolina and uh, flew up just to be there with me. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, that I had forgotten, you know, all the things you think you have to do. Yeah. And, and one of them was maybe you experienced something like this is that I said, oh, I should have called so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And my friend Steve said to me, there are no should haves at this time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that has been that has been something that I have used over and over again with people in times of of, of grief or, or other difficulties they have is that there are no should haves right now. Yeah. It's not an issue of right or wrong when it, when it comes to should I call this person on the person. That's not a right or wrong thing. Right. And sometimes I think in grief we tend to there's things we think we, we need to do, we need to do, and, yeah. you know, and can't, you can't, you can't do it all, mm-hmm. but you really do need friends. Um, and folks, you know, those who are listening, typically with our hope um, in this podcast, we, we have a list of questions we ask our interviewers or the people we're interviewing. And so I have a ton of questions that I, that I want to ask Ellis, but when we're talking about grief, it has to be just organic. Um, when you're talking with someone who's got, who's going through this stuff, you just need to let them speak um, and and not have your prepared questions. So I just want like this is an organic episode. Mm-hmm. We're we're just gonna let it happen, and um, I may ask a question, but this is a conversation, and um, this is really an example of of how we we just need to be present with one another when we're going through these these moments, and just just let it happen. You know, there there's no pressure. There's no pressure to say a word. You think of the story of Job, his friends got it right the first part, and then they messed everything up <laughs> when they spoke. <laughs> if they would have stayed quiet the whole book, it would have been great. <laughs> but, you know, so I just wanted to just throw that out there. So, Ellis, I, I do have a question because this, Amy, my wife, and I, we experienced this when we lost Araya. It, it was pretty dramatic, like going from the office. I, she called me when I was in the office and said, Abe, you need to get over here right now. There's no heartbeat. And I literally just froze. And I said, okay, this is a mistake. So I'm going to go over there and fix it. <laughs> that was, that's what was going on in my head. And I'm running, I'm praying, um, getting to the subway, running to the to the doctor's office. Um, and I walk into the room and I see my wife's face and I knew instantly that was it. Still pleading with the staff to show me the ultrasound. Um, and I feel, you know, I, I think back and I feel so horrible that I made my wife go through that again to like see no heartbeat, but I wasn't there. It was the first appointment that I missed, by the way. Um, so that's another level of like regret. I didn't, I hadn't missed anything else. And so my wife was there alone when this news broke. And so when I saw her face, I, we were crying, we were hysterical. I was angry, but I don't know what happened. 
I, I don't know. I, I, it was, it, it had to have been God. But I looked at her and I said, Amy, we cannot let this rock our marriage. We had, we were just, you know, married a year or two and like this had just happened. And I said, we cannot let this move and shake us. We need to put our stake in the ground and we cannot be shaken right now. She looked at me and she, she nodded and hugged me. And I can honestly say that was the moment that sort of changed the trajectory because it could have gone the easily gone the other way. Um, we were such a young couple that something like this could have easily rocked us. Um, I'm just curious, did something similar happen to you and Colleen um, when when you lost Heather? Let me just make one comment about something you said, then I'll answer your question, other question. It's a one of the things that, that you and Amy did was so significant is that you were intentional towards each other in how and what you were gonna do. You know, sometimes people make promises to each other which fall by the wayside. You made a heart decision uh, and uh, to be intentional about your marriage, which is just so significant. And I think a lot of people don't do that. Yeah. Colleen and I, when we experienced the loss of Heather, we talked about it, but it had, we grieved separately. Mm. And, uh, and I think that one of the things that if I was to do it again, one of the things that I would want to do differently was to make sure that we really engaged with a community of people with close friends. Mm. And why, why is that, that curious? The, you know, the scriptures tell us, and people use this as the reason for attending services, but, you know, the ver verse in Hebrews, it says that we are, you know, uh, that when we assemble together, we are to encourage each other as the day draws near. Mm -hmm. And that is not just about uh, uh, coming together for a worship service. This is a practice that needs to take place on a regular basis. And I've, I've experienced not doing it. I mean, I had some deeply close friends, but as a couple, we did not do well in engaging that way. Mm -hmm. And that made it much more difficult. Right. And if I could do it again, I would change how, how we did that. After- I, I just have a question. So, I mean, you have a Jewish background. Did mm -hmm. any of the Jewish mourning practices sort of um, find itself in your grieving process? Did you did you go there? No, that that was no. That's 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 really a, an excellent question. The and I'm going to say no. Okay, I would, I would say that now. What we did have is that in those practices is that what you have is you'll have family that will come and people that will come and visit. Uh, we had that aspect of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I especially had that when Colleen died. Mm -hmm. The difference is, is that you can have people come together, but without a faith in Yeshua, there's no hope. Mm -hmm. That's the difference, is that all there is uh, with, with, without a relationship with the Lord, is it is just emptiness. Mm -hmm. There is no hope at all. Um, and um, and one of the things that we have that in our in our faith in Yeshua 
is that he is with us always, mm. that he never leaves us, never forsakes us, that it's it's not just a faith uh, in, in nothing, it's a faith in something that is very substantive and real. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference. And so I would say, yes, there was the, the, the one aspect that was there was 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 people coming alongside uh, uh, coming alongside us. Mm -hmm. But there was also the one of the things that Colleen and I did have is that we we it was it was that relationship with the Lord and that is what uh, that's what kept us going. Yeah. Uh, because one of the things that for us, uh, for Colleen and me that was so important was that Heather knew the Lord. And we knew that she she was instantly present with him. Yes. You know, when my parents died, uh, as far as I knew, they didn't know the Lord. Mm -hmm. And and uh, and that's a type of grief that doesn't uh, that the that there's no hope there. Mm. But but with uh, but when you know the Lord, uh, there is that hope mm. that we uh, that 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 uh, this is only part of our life, that our life continues into eternity. Mm -hmm. So in answering your question is is that there are some there's some aspects of that practice which could be helpful, mm -hmm. but without the anchoring in the relationship with the Lord that we, we have hope for eternity, mm -hmm. that this is only part of our life. Yeah. But it continues on and, and then be able to know that Heather was instantly present with the Lord mm. and that when my parents died, that did not happen mm -hmm. to the best of my knowledge. Alice, what does grieving responsibly look like? That's an excellent question. And, and a, people can choose to do all sorts of things to avoid it. Tell me a person that wakes up each morning and says, uh, today, I look forward to experiencing the worst pain that you can ever experience. <laughs> right. Uh, and uh, right. Uh, uh, nobody in their right mind wants to do that. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, we each can have uh, different ways of trying to avoid the pain. Mm -hmm. You know, at it, 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 one point, I, you know, I, I was, it was, I watched television just at night and I would stay up late watching television. It was just a, it was just a distraction. Yeah, uh, worse than the pain. But I think grieving responsibly. One of the words I wrote down as I was thinking about today is that grief, good grief, takes takes work. Yeah, you have to work at it. It is not something that will just happen. Mm -hmm. That you have to make an you have to intentionally make some decisions. And so some of the decisions I did make. Uh, and I did make them during the time when Heather died, and I continued to do it even more so um, after Colleen died. And that was is that I had a very small, uh, just a, a few people that I continued to connect with. It, uh, you could call it accountability, mm -hmm. but it really wasn't that. It was I. I chose these people so that I could process with them. Mm -hmm. And they they didn't give me opinions. They did it the right way. Yeah. They listened to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh and and that's what I chose to do. You know, one of the other things that I chose to do, and I think 
uh, this wasn't, I don't think this was available when, he when Heather died, uh, but it was when Colleen is, I went to uh, eight week or 12 week, I can't remember the number of weeks, but it was Grief Share. It's basically a, uh, a, a program to cover all the aspects of grief that you go through and you're doing it in community with others who have experienced it and discuss it with them. Mm -hmm. um, and it is such a healthy thing to do. Now, it could be painful in terms of not wanting to do it, right. uh, but sometimes what you've got to do is because you don't want to do it, doesn't mean don't do it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I did that you know, a couple of years after Colleen died, mm -hmm. I did that, but I never did that after Heather did. I wish Colleen and I had done that together. Amy and I, we, we did that a few months after. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I have to say, um, it was probably one of the best things for us. And I think for, for me as well, see my wife, she was pregnant. She was pregnant for nine months and she endured all the physical mm -hmm. trauma. I endured sort of the psychological and emotional trauma of like all my hopes and dreams are gone, right? Mm -hmm. um, but my wife went through a very physical pain. Um, mm -hmm. Her body reminded her that she was pregnant. You know, she had to go through the the healing, the physical healing process, not just mm -hmm. emotional, but her body mm -hmm. was wanting to nurture a baby, you know, and like, you know, like <laughs> so that like she she went through that. But I think for me as um, as a non-birthing parent um, to, to be with other men who have gone through this as well, other couples who have gone through this, mm -hmm. I think it was really encouraging for me to be um, with other men. Um, mm -hmm. And we're still, you know, there, there's a, a, a guy that was in the group that we're still good friends mm -hmm. today. Um, they're mm -hmm. actually five minutes from us, they're neighbors now, mm -hmm. um, but you know, you just find community with people who have gone yes. through the same thing. And and mm -hmm. like Ellis, you know, I feel so comfortable with you because I think we we subconsciously get each other without even yeah. having to saying, you know, yeah. say anything. Maybe a few years ago before this happened to me, I couldn't say that. But it's like I recognize myself in you because of what we've mm -hmm. gone through together, you know, like in our own mm -hmm. journeys. Um, and so when you when you start talking with other people who have gone through the same thing, you you realize ah, I'm safe with them. <laughs> you know, that, you know that's, I, it's that that's it. You talk about finding people that you're safe with. Yeah. Uh, the uh, men have great difficulty in expressing their emotions. Mm -hmm. um, and um, Dave, one of the things that I, I made a decision to do, and it started with Heather because, because what I, I, uh, I, I do in my ministries is that I, as I teach and train other uh, 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 other uh, people that are involved in ministry, and uh, one of the things that I do in every in almost all the training that I do is I tell my story. And I made a decision 28 years ago that I would be transparent about how I was doing and and about what I was experiencing with the death of my daughter. And then when Colleen died, I did the same thing. Mm. And so what that did is people ask me, is that hard for you to do? And it is not hard for me to do. Are there hard moments? Yes. But is it hard? No. It's that 
uh, I began to see that what people are looking for, first of all, I found that for me, it was helping me express God had given me an avenue on how I could express what I was experiencing. Mm -hmm. And I found that for others, it had a significant impact on them. Mm -hmm. For those who experienced loss, that I decided that I would, I would be a person who would make himself vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And I continue to do that. The, uh, I've had one man in particular who has been, uh, that I've known for decades, but he has walked with me all the way through these years. He calls me almost every week and just to see how I'm doing. And, awesome. and he, there has never been any judgment from him. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure I probably have said some really dumb things over the years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it might be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but, but he just listens to me. That's amazing. And just, just checks in with me. Now, that is a friend. Mm. Uh, Job could have used a, a person like that. Yeah. Instead of the, instead of those who decided <laughs> to give him advice. Uh, Ellis, you know, grief, it never really goes away. Um, I remember I have a handful of moments where I'm just going through my day and all of a sudden, bam, it just hits you. Um, yes. I remember driving one day and just, oh my God, it just grief, like, like a dark cloud just like came over me and I like couldn't get out of it. And yeah. I had to just call my wife and just cry, you know, and um, those moments happen. They, they happen less and less, but they do still pop up. So what do you do in these moments? I'm sure you, it, you've, it's happened to you. And how do you mm -hmm. find hope in that grief? Yeah. The early on when Heather died, uh, grief share caused a big ambush that yeah. just comes out of nowhere. <laughs> That's the right word. Uh, and, um, and you know, when you are just not expecting it. Yeah. Um, and how I handle it. And I started doing this in the beginning. And I can't tell you how, like, how many years it went, but it went for you know, quite a long time uh, where it, the intensity was so bad or so, so difficult to just, I felt like I just needed to hang on. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I made a decision. I made a decision that I would make no major decisions during that time. Mm, that I would make no stupid decisions mm -hmm. with when Heather died, I, uh, you know, I, I, I wrestled with what's the purpose of living, of going on. I made the decision that I would not make any decisions like that mm. while I was in the midst of that extreme pain. Yeah. Uh, over the years, the aspects of that grief have subsided, but there are still times where it will, it will, it will hit me. Mm -hmm. Today, what I do is that sometimes what I'll do when it hits me, I will text my friend Steve. Yeah. And I'll tell him about it. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I had asked the Lord is would he allow me to get married again? Mm. And he gave me this incredible woman, Karen, who lost her husband uh, 11 years ago. Mm -hmm. And, and she understands loss. And so one of the things that we do is we can talk about it. Wow. And I know that she understands. Mm -hmm. I was just putting away, I'd taken out some old family photo albums and it was, you know, it was my, it was my, it was, it was, it, you know, I had pictures of Colleen and Heather. And as I 
just showed Karen my past. Mm-hmm. And and there was a moment at the end that there was just great sadness. Yeah. Yeah. But what I was so grateful for is that I had a person who understood because she has experienced great loss. Wow. And God has used her to bring great comfort to me. Now, my friend Steve has brought great comfort to me. And sometimes people say that if you haven't experienced loss, uh, you, know, you need to find somebody who has experienced loss. I have found that God has some people who have not experienced the same kind of loss, but he has given them mm-hmm. a depth of understanding and compassion. Yes. And if you can't find somebody who has experienced that kind of loss that you can really click with, it is okay yeah. because there are people who you can connect with uh, that God has uh, whether you want to say he has gifted them, I don't know if that's what it is, but he's given them a depth of understanding mm-hmm. and that it works. And that's what has helped me. I have a two-parter question for you. Um, okay. sort of wrapping up, but why don't you talk us through what happened recently? Um, okay. If you're comfortable. And, you know, you, you sort of described how you felt toward God and, and you know, the situation that happened. I'm curious, one, how do you how do you see God now after all these years? Okay. And then in the midst of this most recent situation, how have how did you maybe respond? Uh, Abe, it is so good to talk to you. And we and I I'm grateful that this hearing your story ministers to me. Two months after Karen and I were married, and it was we were so certain and are certain of how God brought us together. And we've been able to minister to each other in the grief that we've had and experiencing a a joy that we never knew that we could experience again. Mm -hmm. And And what year, uh, what year is this that you got married? We got married uh, uh, just last year in June. So 2021. Okay. Yeah. And Karen had lost her husband 11 years uh, before that. Mm -hmm. And so she had had more experience of, uh, she'd had 11 years of living without her spouse and I had only had, you know, about two and a half years when we got married. But two months after we were married, um, I was uh, on a Zoom call and towards the end of it, Karen came in and I saw a look on her face and I knew that something awful, uh, I mean, something had happened. And so I excused myself from the call or just walked away from it. Karen had a a 44-year-old daughter, Kristen, and uh, told me, she just said, Kristen is dead. Mm. All I could do is just, I just embraced her and held her. I started to cry out to the Lord, not again. Mm. Uh, uh, It's it's like, God, haven't you done enough? won't you just stop? And so I I had wanted to say that, but I stopped myself from saying that mm-hmm. because one of the things for me that has happened is that will you not accept, I only accept the good and not the bad from the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I And when God asked me, will I trust him? This was where it happened again. Will I trust you with what just happened? And uh, Christian was uh, 
uh, was autistic and but high functioning and lived on her own and she just died suddenly and it was without explanation we never knew uh, what happened it was just I mean well it was it was just natural causes and we're Karen and I both saw God's incredible grace and love is that Karen did not have to go through this alone that he allowed us to have to be married for two months before that happened and so that I was able to bring comfort to her because of having experienced the loss of a child. Mm. This is different. My my daughter was 17 and a half when she died. Kristen, you know, had lived a lot longer. Mm. Uh, it was Kristen was just a she was just a year younger than my daughter Heather would have been. Wow. And wow. what was what was hard for me is I I I have no grandchildren and there was a growing affection that God had given me towards uh, towards Kristen, even though I had just known her for a short time. Mm -hmm. And uh, she and I got along, you know, really well. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that was growing. I think the hard thing for me was, God, why would you do this? Yeah. Why would you take away what I had starting this new relationship and now that's gone. Yeah. Karen does have a, a son and uh, and daughter-in-law and they have uh, two uh, uh, two children and the two kids call me Papa G. <laughs> and uh, uh, and so God has blessed me with you know with that. Mm -hmm. But that was that was really hard losing losing Kristen. Yeah. Ellis, I think we need to stop uh, because everyone listening probably got to the bottom of their tissue box. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but wow, um, wow, 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 wow. I just feel like I need to <sighs> take a breath. Um, this was incredible. Um, thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for your trusting God. I know that's a weird thing to say, but hearing you and seeing you gives me hope that I can keep going on when I face grief unexpectedly, when I get ambushed with grief, as you said. I'm, I'm just so grateful for your testimony. Um, and really, uh, as painful as these experiences have been for you, um, I, I am grateful for your life. Um, I am grateful for, for everything that I've heard today. So thank you. Thank you for being with us and and it's just just thank you ellis <laughs> this was amazing and, and healing for me as well can i leave you with one verse yeah. that has really stuck with me please yes you know in when apostle paul wrote in the book of romans and this verse has really stood out to me and where it says in verse 30 and 39 for i am convinced that neither death nor life uh, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and for me, that has been significant. When the Lord said, I'm with you always, that he will never leave me, and that nothing can separate me from his love, and nothing can separate Karen's late husband, Jack, mm -hmm. Kristen, Colleen, 
and Heather from the Lord. Nothing that they are with the Lord because they had all placed their trust in Yeshua. Isaiah 53, verse 3, calls Jesus a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Whatever pain and loss we endure, we are not alone. Jesus, our Messiah, fully experienced the suffering of a broken world. He mourned death. He faced rejection and betrayal. He even laid down his own life so that death would be no more. He died, rose again, and ascended into heaven. Because of his sacrifice, we can have eternal life. When the Messiah returns, he will reign from Jerusalem and bring suffering to an end. As it is written in Revelation chapter 21, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Let us know how this podcast has affected and impacted you. You can also share it on social media with your friends and family. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Our Hope featuring Ellis Goldstein. This episode was produced by Nicole Vaca and Grace Sui and written by myself and Rachel Larson and edited by Grace Sui. This episode was also created thanks to Dr. Mitch Glazer, Kyron Bautista, and John Bautista. I'm Abe Vasquez. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Our Hope. If you like our show and want to know more, check out OurHopePodcast.com or chosenpeople.com. You can also support our podcast by giving today at ourhopepodcast.com slash support. See you next time. difficult times, we know how hard it is to hold on to hope, and we want you to know that Chosen People Ministries is here for you. If you have any prayer requests, our prayer team is standing by to receive them. You can submit your request at chosenpeople.com forward slash pray. Again, that's chosenpeople.com forward slash pray.